Father, I come um, asking on behalf of myself and everyone in this room, Lord, that you would teach us to be dependent on you. Father, the uh, words that you would speak through me, Father, I pray that they would be uh, life. And a life that we haven't known, that they would, that they would lead to uh, change. Lord, that it would lead to us doing things differently. Father, I pray that this very weekend that we would, wouldn't set foot outside of this lodge uh, as we started to recognize what we needed to do uh, for our lives to be dependent on you. And so, Father, in these next few minutes, Lord, would you open our hearts um, and that you would teach us, me included, about how to do that. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So last night we talked about the reality of God and the need for him to be real in our lives. That so, that so often that we can uh, be with the people of God, right, doing the things of God and not know him. God should be the most real thing in our lives. And so as we move into this morning, what we want to talk about is God's presence. If he is real, then he is present with us. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 139.7. Psalm 139.7. And the psalmist says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? God is real and he exists. If he is our creator and our redeemer and our sustainer, then there is nowhere we can go. To be away from him. This is a comforting declaration. Father, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? This is something that we should remind ourselves of. So there is not a place that we can go that he is not there with us. And, and that means that God is here. I want you to soak that in that God is here. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, the story of the Bible is the story of God's presence with his people. He was here and he created. He has gone and made a place for us. God was present in the garden speaking with Adam and Eve after they sinned. He fought against the Israelites in the face of Pharaoh for his people. He was there when the Israelites were sent into exile from the promised land. He was there as he called each prophet to testify as to his faithfulness and to call his people back to himself. He was there when Jesus was born and when John the Baptist was beheaded. He was there at the cross and he was there at the resurrection. He was there when the church was born and he was there when it was scattered because of persecution. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, and he was there to call Saul to himself. He was there when Paul preached the kingdom to the Gentiles, and he was there each time Paul was left for dead. He is here with us now and will be with us through the entirety of each of our lives. He will be there at the judgment, and he will be there with us forever reigning. Our God is here. 
So why does he feel so distant? Uh, G.K. Chesterton replied to a newspaper, uh, a newspaper editorial in the early, uh, early part of the 20th century that asked the simple question, what is wrong with the wor world? And Mr. Chesterton, being the, uh, the civic-minded person that he is, responded with a simple reply to what is wrong with the world. He said, I am, yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. We are the problem. This may be weird, but I want you to say it out loud because I need you to know that it's not God's fault that you, uh, that you don't feel him, <laughs> that it's not his fault that, um, that he doesn't feel near, it's us. And if you'll bear with me, I really want you to say that to yourself. We are the problem. Repeat after me. We are the problem. When he feels distant, it's not him, it's you. When he feels distant to me, it's not him, it's me. This is why I called, uh, Paul called us to be reconciled. Be ye reconciled. This is why Jesus called us to repent. Come home. Acts 3.19 says, Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Throughout the Bible, whether it's in Isaiah or the Psalms, Revelation or John talking about his kingdom, over and over again it talks about his kingdom being a place of refreshing and justice and righteousness and comfort and peace. This is what it means to be in the presence of God. And when we are not feeling those things, then we're probably not. It is not a, it just happens sometimes. That is what the kingdom of God is. It's not eating or drinking. But it is those things. I think God's presence and our response to this truth is best illustrated in the parable of the son and his father. See, the son trades in the father's presence for independent living. And when this manner of life ceases to fulfill, it is the presence and character of the father that precipitates the son's return. Remember as he asks him for his inheritance and he goes and uh, does what he wants. And it's as he runs out of money and finds that, that, that life is not what he meant it to live, that he is, has nothing <laughs> of what he wanted and he remembers he remembers his father he remembers from whence he came he remembers who loved him and who would at least at the very least give him scraps from the table he he has to recognize me despite the knowledge of this story i wonder if we sense the father's reaction to our coming back like we do uh, when we let a pet back into the house Oh, there you are. <laughs> that scene of letting a pet back into the house is a scene of indifference and inevitability. They're just going to come back in. Oh, hey. I wonder if we 
think about God like that, that he feels that he feels um, that way about us. That he's just indifferent about us and that it's just inevitable that we'll come home. See, the father in this story in God's care for us is characterized completely the opposite of indifference and inevitability. The father welcomes the son as if back from the dead. Can you think about the joy that you would have if someone that you thought was dead to you, that was lost, think of a, just a pet, the joy that you would have from your beloved pet walked back in the door and said, <laughs> like they do. You should wag for people. It makes them feel good. If, they, if you see them and you just kind of wag, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> right, because they do the body and the butt. It's like you gotta do both. You gotta do both. Y'all practice that, it's a dance. But again, think about that. He, the father welcomes the son as back from the dead. They, the, the son treated him as such. And it's not that he didn't want to love the son. He didn't ever wanted him to leave. He always wanted to be in that relationship. And it was the son that went away. As the father welcomes the son as if back from the dead, as he welcomes us as if back from the dead, that is the level of excitement that he has when we come home to him. When you've been gone from your parents and you get to come home, how excited are they? Right? They kill the fatted calf, don't they? They take you out to like the nice steak dinner just, just hoping that you'll come home more often. <laughs> what do you want, your mom? Uh, or dad says, what do you want to eat? Oh, make me that my favorite dish, Right? And you're so excited, but they are more excited that you're home than you are to be home. They're always hopeful, always merciful. The father here knows that the choice rests in the other because he hasn't stopped loving the son. If only they would come home. Those that do come home recognize their dependence on the Father, and those that don't are blinded by the lie of independence. We are not okay on our own. You know this, I know this. And yet, we still want to do it. We were not meant to be on our own. We fight our very nature when we seek to live independently of God. That is why the Bible characterizes it as rebellion. And so as I make this claim that we are not okay on our own, I want to tell you three ways I think that we are dependent on God. And three things that I think we need to note. The first is we are dependent on God for freedom. And this may be, uh, seem to you an odd one to stand, start off to, but the Bible characterizes uh, when we are independent of him that we are slaves to sin. That what we fall into outside of his loving arms, his embrace, his wisdom, his care for us is all things that are not good. 
John 8, 32. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth is that you're not meant to live independently, but dependently. That your home is with God and that truth will set you free. I want you to picture life dependently, the presence of God as life was when you were a toddler. Probably prior to elementary school. I want you to picture, remember what life is like. And I'm, and I'm assuming that you had a, a, decent, a decent home life. I want you to picture what that looked like. Is that who, who cared for you in that space? Your parents, right? Did you want for anything? Were you, were you not cared for? Were you not given to? Everything about that space was what our life with Christ will look like if we are correctly related to him, dependently. Can you remember a time that you were happier in your life? I can't. Have you seen McClendon and Hollis running around? (laughs) Have you seen George's kid running around? Life is good when we live dependently. But what happened that there was a certain point in our lives that said, you know what? This is great and all. I'd really love to know what it looks like to live independently of my parents. And we start to go that way. And what happens? It is a hot mess. And think about this just as your general maturity of when you did that, of when you sought to be independent of your parents, and then when you saw in college, a lot of you may come in, be coming into this, and in high school at some point you thought your parents were idiots, and at some point you realize, oh wait, they aren't. Maybe you guys are in that right now, and you're learning, <laughs> relearning that. Sometimes it takes into adulthood before we, uh, before we uh, remember how sweet Uh, loving and kind our parents were, that it's okay to be in right relationship with them, that it's not weird, that it's right. We are dependent for the sake of freedom. You will know the truth, all the truth of God, and it is that truth that will set you free again, free from bondage. John 8, 36, so if the Son makes you free, then you will free indeed. The, he, the Son is the one that allows us to come back home. So we have done things in the Father's, uh, in the Father's eyes, right, that we have uh, removed ourselves from Him, and it's only through His sacrifice do we say, oh it's, oh, it's safe to come home again. See, God's not... We, we think often of sin as... Um, well, God's separate from me because I sin like he's mad at me. <laughs> I've done all these bad things, and so, and so God looks at, looks at Rob and says, get, get away, you're dirty, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Yet the reality is, is that we sin because we're separate. Because we have chosen to try to live independently, sin fills in the gaps. Just like when you seek to live independently of your parents, you're like, where did all this mess come from? Romans 8.15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This is the cry of home, of recognizing right the truth and that truth freeing me up to go back where I should have been all along. 
back to the Father's arms, back into dependent life with Him. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When we are acting in the Spirit, right, that we love one another better, don't we? When we sense His presence, it is there that liberty abounds, that freedom happens. Galatians 5.13, For your call to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We were made for freedom. And that freedom comes when we live dependently on Him. So that's number one. That is, that is what we uh, need dependence for. That is what uh, comes. Second thing is for peace. We live dependently for freedom. We live dependently for peace. Isaiah 32, 17 says, And the work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Peace in Hebrew is shalom. It is what God seeks for us to live in. Harmony with Him. Unity with Him. That is what all is represented in those ideas. Psalm 4, 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me to dwell in safety. There's no other way that I can dwell in safety, Father, except in your presence. So it is for peace that I am dependent. How many of you have lived over in the, in the last six months, have lived a time of your life with no peace. You can raise your hand. It's okay. This is a, this is a safe place. This is a safe place. <laughs> and peace is characterized by sleepless nights and worry and stress. It is so good when you see somebody just so easily go to sleep. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your law have great peace. And nothing causes them to stumble. That is, we live dependently knowing that he is our life, knowing that he is where life comes from, right? We can rest assured on what he asks us to do. And what he has for us. We are no longer thinking, I just want to do what I want to do. I see this in my children daily. It doesn't even matter what the thing is. The answer is no before I even ask the question. <laughs> and we treat God like this a lot of times. No, 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 no. That is the heart of rebellion. Psalm 126, I, I fear that this is the cry of some of your hearts because even, even as you are struggling to be at peace with yourself and with God, I also say that there's, there's people that are struggling with that around you. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. It's wearying, is it not? So we are dependent for freedom, we are dependent for peace, and we are dependent for selflessness. 2 Peter 2, 18 through 19 says, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, 
those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. I'm going to read that again. 2 Peter 2, 18-19. For, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Doesn't that sound like some of our lives sometimes? Lives lived, lives lost. Lives that, that people, our friends, are in currently. They barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom while they, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Come be free with me as I am enslaved to this thing that I want you to be enslaved to. It sounds ridiculous when we put it like that, but that is what it looks like in the plain light of day. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. I think for much of my life I was overcome by my independence. <laughs> Caught in the web of my own dealings, I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And over and over and over, I would cringe at the uh, things that I did and the people that I hurt. <clears throat> of the vanity of my life. I was a man overcome, and I was a man that was enslaved. Galatians 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. This is the opposite of being enslaved to what we are overcome by. It is a place where we have room for others. As we seek to be dependent, one of the things that we'll talk about uh, tomorrow morning is that we then have if we are not consumed with ourselves, we then have space for others. This is why so many of us don't have time for each other, because all of our time is used up on ourselves. I know this uh, way of life all too well. My, my to-do list for myself is way too long to include you in it. I have no emotional <laughs> capacity to give, for it's all here as anxiety rules me in the things that I have chosen to do. But the law of Christ allows us, as we are dependent on him, it allows us to bear one another's burdens. And so the presence of God demands that we have right relationship with him, that the relationship that he intended from the beginning has been restored. That is, this is what it means to be reconciled to God. That the relationship that he created you for, that you won't come to him, right, unless that thing has been fixed. Because we feel so alone. In our sin, we run to the corner thinking no one could love me. This is what the cross is. That he, he pours out his love on us on, in the person of Christ. And when we look on Christ, we're just like, there's no way that that God doesn't love me. There's no way that I can stand in the corner anymore. That is the power of the cross as it relates to being dependent. <coughs> Amen? God is present to call us back home. He wants me and he wants you. He wants you. We can't live in the presence of God when we don't think that he wants us. 
He tells us the parable of the father and the son to remind us that that is him, that he is waiting and longing every day when you go out of his house to come right back. We want independence and some autonomy. And in that state, we often choose not him and not what he is about. This is what characterizes our lives. Wait to turn with me to John 6, 66. We're going to focus on that verse and a couple other ones. And we're coming to the end here. John 6, 66, as you can imagine, is not a great verse. Somehow, as they were counting them off... <laughs> In the Lord's providence, uh, they came, they numbered this one poorly, right? And so this is the story um, of Jesus given the hard teaching that he teaches them about their dependence on him. That they need to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood to be both sustained and to be restored. And this is hard teaching for them because of their background and what they thought that that meant. And in, in John 6, 66, it just says that many left, follow, many stopped following him. Because they misunderstood what he was saying, that he was their sustenance. That the, he was the way back to God. And they couldn't take that he was that thing, and so they left following Right, because that's what they were doing prior to, right? <laughs> they were following, and he tells them what, what he, uh, uh, some, the hard truth, and they stop. And then as the, as the multitudes go away, there's just um, what we think is his apostles and maybe about, uh, maybe about 20 other folks at, that, at this point. And he turns to them and says, are you going to leave too? And this is what Peter replies. This is verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That you are a lover of mine. That you are not a taker, Father. We have learned that you are a giver. That you're not a scolder, Father. You are a teacher. That you are not a condemner, but you are a redeemer. Peter and those that didn't go recognized that there was nowhere else to go. They were home. They were sure that his presence was good, for he had the words of eternal life. Peter is saying, we welcome your presence because of who you are and who you have proven yourself to be. One last uh, scripture I want to draw your attention to, and then we will take a nice little break. Uh, turn with me to Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Colossians 3, 
And so I'm not going to spend a, uh, uh, just about a minute reading a couple uh, of these verses to you, but I want to point out a couple things. If you have your pen, this is great to uh, underline or to star. And so this is talking about living in God's presence, and we're going to uh, take a good little break and then come back and talk about what it looks like to live with God. So if he's real to us and he's present with us, then what does it look like to walk alongside him? Not in the back or just sometimes when you've got some time, <laughs> but live life with him. Look with me real quick. Colossians 3. Therefore, if you have been seated with Christ, and here's the part that you want, I want you to underline. If that is you, if you have chosen to place your faith in him in some little measure, here's the part I want you to underline. Keep seeking the things above. What I'm having you underline is things that he is telling us to do as we live in his presence. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, if that's you, keep seeking the things above. Underline that part. Where Christ is seated at the right hand, here's the second thing to underline. Set your mind on things above. When you're stressed out and you're struggling, you're angry. When you're frustrated, when you're sad, he wants you to remember the good things in your life. He wants you to remember him, that he is for you. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. That is the promise. If he is yours and you are his, then there are better days ahead. Next thing to underline, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. Consider yourselves dead to these things. For that's not what life in his presence is about. You don't need those things anymore. Dependence is him providing those things. Did you need those things when you were a little kid? Right? Living in dependent relationship with your parents, you didn't, did you? It's only after you left that relationship did you go searching for, depend, uh, for those things again. But for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, here, underline this. Now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. These responses of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech, these are the responses of someone scared in the corner. <laughs> right? Don't come over here, you so-and-so. I'm mad that I'm over here. I want you, something bad to happen to you, like it's happened to me. Let me tell you some lies about this person so that I'll feel better about myself. Don't do these things since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, 
but Christ is in all in all. When we do this, there is no distinction. You don't dress like me. You're not from the place I'm from. You're a sophomore. I'm a senior. Oh, you're a junior. I'm a freshman. Right? You like these things. I like these things. That's all dumb. <laughs> there is no distinction. We are all God's beloved. So as those who have been chosen of God, as those people and not those other people that distinguish themselves, as those chosen of God, holy and beloved, underline this, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. See, when we're dependent and we learn to live with him, we do the things that he did. Dad, what should I do? You know what to do, son. Do what I do. He has that voice. It's like a, a James Earl Jones, right? Uh, you know what to do, son. That almost sounds like a Mr. T, if y'all know who that is. You know what to do, boy. Put on a heart of, Father, what should I do? Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Underlining this, beyond all these things, put on love. And love is the perfect bond of unity. When I can selflessly do something over and against myself for you, that's love. When I put on these things, when I've come out of the corner, when I've locked arms with my father, when I'm in between his legs, where I should be, it is these things that my life can become. Because I'm listening and I'm looking and I'm watching and I'm being able to be taught by him and seeing how he lives life. Remember last night I said we, we like Jesus but we don't know God, we re remember that Jesus is the manifestation of God, just in case we didn't know what God would do if he lived among us. There you go. Let the, underline again, just got a couple more. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it. <laughs> Here's the action. You know how hard it is to let someone tickle you? <laughs> That's a weird, Sister Sabrina's like, that was weird. That was a weird example. <laughs> but think about the idea of letting someone do something, right? Right, how hard is that if I just let you like tickle, like, ah, uh, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you know what's coming, no, no. But this is anytime the Bible is talking about, there's so many times, particularly uh, in the book of First John, where uh, John is asking uh, them to let, 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 allow, allow these things to happen. Because we fight these things in our life, these things that are so natural, the things that would come apart when, when God is present, when we live dependently on him, these things will naturally happen and we fight them. We don't allow them to be. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That seems so silly, but a lot, of, a lot of us in this room do not let God's peace rule in our hearts. He wants to so bad, it's like sitting there. <laughs> nope. 
Two more, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. We come to our Bibles and we read it, but we don't let it in. We don't dwell on it. We don't want it to be in there. I promise you if you wanted it to be in there. There's so many song lyrics in your heads. So many song lyrics in your heads. How did it get in there? Repeat, 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 right? Or do you just have a playlist and you just repeat the whole playlist, right? Over and over and over and over again, you're like, wow, yes, I do that. <laughs> uh, God's Word works the exactly the same way. Repeat, read, repeat, read, repeat, sing it to myself, <laughs> say it to myself, hear it from others. This is how this stuff gets in there. And then lastly, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. There is not a sacred, sacred secular divide. All things are sacred. Living dependently means that all of your life is God's. All of your life is open to the things of him. Here's what I want to end with. Remember at the very beginning of the talk, you may not remember, I'll just remind you that I was reminding you of where God was present. And a lot of those things were in times when we typically like, oh, that was bad. But here's what I want you to, to remind yourself. Now, I want you to remember the times that you have allowed yourself to be dependent on God when stuff was going wrong. When you have... Um, when stuff was going wrong, when stuff was not great, and how he met you in those places. Now, you can't, you, I don't want you to remember just the time when you wallowed in sorrow, but when the time when you reached out. When you were maybe away from him or were at home and it came crying and you called out for your father. And he came and he heard you. Maybe it was after that one breakup. I've had about eight breakups, but this one breakup... Right, this one breakup, I called out to him and I asked him to heal my hurt and to mend my broken heart. I want you to remember that space if that's you. When a relative or friend has died, when you lost a game or did, had a poor performance, when you're in the throes of sin, when you just bombed your test, when you were scared in a situation, I want you to remember that if, if you ever experienced those times, and in that those times you chose to call out to him, I want you to remember his response to you. Because I dare say that he was there 100% of the time. That is my testimony. When I dared call out to my father, he met me there every single time. And so the issue, as I was constantly reminded, is not my father, it's me. That the issue is not being scared or hurt or making a mistake. The issue is not running to him in those situations. Because we are, we are reinforcing our independence when he longs for us to be dependent. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would remember the times when we have been obedient to your calling to live dependently. I dare say that all of us has at least an, a recollection or at least an experience of a friend telling them how the Lord 
carry them through a situation. We're not talking about a footprints uh, situation here. Lord, but that you walked us hand in hand, you hugged us, you encouraged us, you sent people as provision for us, you cried with us. Lord, you met us in our hurt and in our sin. And Father, that is what it means to be present with you. Lord, I pray as we uh, just take a break for a minute and begin uh, and continue talking about life with you, Father, that we would soak it in and be reminded of how good you are to us and why we long for your presence and why we need to want it way more than we do. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.